Produced by PI Media. Abundant in volume yet scarce, soothing and relaxing yet bearing a devastating force. Defies the laws of physics and it can heal as much as it can harm. It is the source of life. I'm Idan and from Israel Newtech and PI Media, this is Waterline. Welcome back to Waterline. Oded, I know that there's one thing that can drive you mad. What is it? It is seeing or hearing a faucet dripping its way. <laughs> Not because of the sound it makes, because... Every drop counts. Okay, and it means... It means that we have to uh, we have to save water we have to uh, be aware of what uh, is going on and uh, the fact that this very sensitive delicate resource uh, doesn't get the full respect that it deserves uh, is not acceptable this is Odedistel head of Israel newtech a man easily irritated by wasteful water behavior and And when he says that every drop counts, he knows exactly what he's talking about. A leaky faucet at a rate of a drop a second will result in an annual water loss of more than 11,000 liters of fresh, pristine, potable water. Enough water to ensure a single person's daily drinking requirements for more than 15 years. Okay, so I saw a dripping faucet. I... Tighten it up, or I call a plumber and he puts in a new one. Mm-hmm. So fine. Everything is fine, no? Not really. The one that you see is easy. Mm-hmm. The big problem is the ones that you don't see. And leakage in uh, municipal systems is a very, very big headache. The average on global scale is estimated at uh, 25%, and this is very modest. 25%, 25. that leaves the purification plants yes. and makes it to nowhere. Yeah, so we have amount of water that enters the uh, municipal system, amount X. At the end of the day, the utility is going to send bills to just 75%. And this is the average that the uh, utilities declare for, In many situations, they are embarrassed and they don't like to say the real figures. But we know that there are cities that reach 40, 50, 60 percent water loss. 60 percent? 60 percent. It doesn't make any sense. It, it is crazy. So industry is usually a little bit more efficient. National water pipes also have uh, a lot of uh, leakage, but the, uh, the biggest uh, headaches uh, are in the uh, urban systems with all the small connections uh, to the households. Seth Siegel, author of Let There Be Water, Israel's Solution for a Water-Starved World. A very large percentage of the world already lives with incredible water scarcity. 
This is not something that will magically appear in the year 2025, but rather this is something that's going to be rolling towards us with an accelerating level of misery towards 2025 and beyond. For those many people who live in places where there's a scarcity of water, they don't really need to be educated to hold back. They don't have the water to waste. It's in the more affluent societies where water is not handled properly. I just came back from Buenos Aires. Argentina is blessed in much of the country with great amount of water. But because of that and because of the same mentality that water is almost a limitless resource like sunshine or air, there hasn't been a public education campaign, which has led to terrible wastefulness about water. It's led to a lack of public spending on infrastructure. And you know what? Lots of people there are now drinking tainted water, which needn't have been the case because they could have years ago put good systems in place. The public never got the idea that water should be metered because if you don't account for your water, you don't know where it's being used. You don't know how to plan for it, forgetting about how to charge for it. And so the country is, it's a wonderful country. It's a great country. It's an advanced westernized country. And yet they treat water, even though it's abundant, in a way that is it's very much to their detriment. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency published that in the U.S. alone, household leaks lead to an annual water loss of one trillion gallons of pristine water. One trillion gallons, more than three and a half trillion liters, are enough to supply the needs of 11 million American homes for an entire year. As Odette Distel said, every drop counts. Allow me to take you back some 6,000 years to the Copper Age, to a semi-arid land up a mountain on the edge of the desert. The first things the settlers in this place did was to ensure they have access to water, and so they settled next to a spring. Fast forward roughly two and a half millennia, and you will find yourself in the city of King David, a political center as well as a city of worship. And that small spring, Hagichon Spring, was used by the people of Jerusalem in biblical times as well. Jerusalem, at an elevation of 800 meters above sea level, on the hills overlooking the Judean desert, struggled with water supply from its very first days, from the days of the Jebusites, through the days of King David, and on and on, till modern times. The small Gihon Spring was the city's main source of water. The water was funneled into the city using tunnels. Roughly 300 years after King David's reign, King Hezekiah asked his engineers to create a new, longer and deeper tunnel to drive the water from the Gihon Spring to a pool situated within the walls of the city. King Hezekiah had no recreational activities in mind when he asked to create the Siloam Tunnel and pool. He was determined to secure a water supply year-round. And there was another issue. He was committed to protect the water supply in the event that the city fell under siege. And protect it, he did. The city stood strong and did not fall into the hands of Sennacherib. Every new ruler Jerusalem saw throughout history brought with him a new system to supply water to the city. The Romans, 
the Ottomans and the British all left their mark in the form of water infrastructure. A consistent water supply to the city was always a challenge, and during the Israeli War of Independence, the modern parts of Jerusalem were cut off from water supplies, yet another siege. This time around, water tankers were deployed and water rationing began. 10 liters per person per day. Not a single drop more. Pamphlets explained how to make the most of your portion, for it to suffice for all uses, drinking, cooking, bathing, washing and toilet flushing, and were slapped on billboards and printed in newspapers. This part of Jerusalem's history is commemorated in a form of a street name, Michalkei Hamayim, the water porters. Today, Jerusalem is home for nearly one million people, Jews, Muslims and Christians, religious and secular, old and young, and they all use water. Zohar Yinon, CEO of Hagichon, Jerusalem's water and wastewater utility company, is the man in charge of quenching their thirst and ensuring that high-quality water is always available, on demand, 24-7, 365 days a year. He is far from being phased. It has been an historic challenge from the days of King David and King Solomon, Till today, Jerusalem is insufficient regarding water. It gets all its water from the coastal plain and the seawater desalination facilities. They pump all those fresh water 800 meters all the way up to Jerusalem. But because of that, the awareness in Jerusalem to the preciousness of uh, the water is uh, very high, and uh, that's why Hagichon is probably considered as one of the most efficient water utilities in the world. What's in the name? Why Hagichon? What is Hagichon? <coughs> Hagichon is the name of a biblical spring or a river that uh, went from Jerusalem to Eden, according to the Bible. And uh, this is why uh, the founders of uh, the company called it Hagichon. Today, the spring of Agichon is a very tiny spring, which is mostly for touristic use, and it's a lovely place, but it doesn't really supply water into the network. We are very proud of being a company with heritage, but at the edge of the new technologies, Altogether, this is what makes Agichon so unique and special. Now, let's talk really about the infrastructure. We're talking about biblical water infrastructure. We're talking about Roman infrastructure, Ottoman infrastructure, British mandate infrastructure, young Israel infrastructure. It's a combination, but of course, most of the ancient uh, infrastructure from the Romans and the Greeks and uh, even the Turks are considered as archaeological findings and they don't really supply water today. They're not part of the modern uh, pipeline. And uh, of course, Agijon has successfully developed the new modern water network and sewage network also in Jerusalem. Our average age of the new modern water system is about 
22, 23 years. Of course, you can find here and there a pipe that is maybe 50, 60 years old, but not more than that. We have a very massive uh, development plant of replacing all the time old pipes in the network because this is the way to keep uh, low water losses. When Inon took on his role, the city suffered from a water loss of 16%, lower than the global average, and yet still a significant amount. It's called in the professional term is NRW, non-revenue water. We've been able to reach 8.9%, which is one of the best in the world, considering the territory the fact that many places in Jerusalem are very old and the challenge of upgrading the infrastructure without doing any harm to all kinds of archaeological findings and not threatening foundations of very old buildings is a very unique challenge in Jerusalem. If there were Olympics on this uh, thing of water losses, probably we would get one of the medals. And the way to achieve it? Well... By using technology. Hagichon invested heavily in high-tech solutions to solve a low-tech problem. When you wake up in the morning, yeah. what do you do? Well, when I wake up in the morning, I have this app on my mobile that uh, we developed uh, on the basis of our GIS system. A map, uh, effectively. A map, an electronic map, which has all kinds of layers. One of the layers is a layer which has about 2,000... acoustic sensors that we installed all around Jerusalem. You listen to water? We listen to water. Sometimes I say that once we were deaf and blind, and most of water utilities in the world are deaf and blind, so we put our special installations of acoustic sensors so we can hear the heartbeat of the water network. It doesn't matter if I'm in Africa or in uh, the Far East or in the States. At any time, I can open the app and see the red light, blue light, green light, yellow light. We have categorized the severeness of the alerts for hidden leakage that the public is not aware of. And we've been able to improve the system so it will have 91% accuracy in its alerts, only 9% of false alarms. This was one of the technological moves that we've done in order to reduce our water losses. And you can see the correlation that the more acoustic sensors we install, the less complaints that we get to our call center. We deal with problematic issues before it's affecting the public life. No traffic jams because of water bursts. It's very rare in Jerusalem in the past two, three years. Talk to me about colors. What are the colors? The colors means the suspicious uh, hidden leakage, how bad it is. The bigger the hole, it's red. If it's blue, it means that it's uh, really very tiny and we have enough time to fix it. And the important thing is that we can fix it when it's the most convenient time from the point of view of the public without interfering public life. And uh, that's very important because uh, utilities all around the world have this problem of digging in the middle of the day, in the middle of the traffic, and uh, making a very big headache to all, to the public and to all the regulators, etc., etc. 
and we're doing it less and less and, uh, and by that giving a much better city-friendly service to the people in Jerusalem. So you would work at night? We would work at night. We would know to pinpoint where the hidden leakage is. In other places, they take a lot of time to understand where the hidden leakage is exactly. So uh, the digging is very minor or small. If you compare it to the traditional way of fixing and replacing pipes, it's like uh, pinpointing exactly in a radius of two, three meters where the hidden leakage is. This is... Uh, new acoustic uh, technology with uh, deep algorithm, deep analytics, and uh, it's doing the job. Effectively, what you did is building a new infrastructure above the current infrastructure, a technological one. Yeah. It's almost like another yeah. layer. Yeah, exactly. How did you do that? How long did it take you? Because you are talking about a million people. You're talking about, what, 250,000 points of distribution, I yeah. assume? Something so, like that? More or less. We have uh, approached a governmental sort of tender that was originally published for reducing uh, CO2 emissions. And our application explained to them that if we will reduce our water losses, then Mekorot will need to pump less water, so they will use less energy. And then uh, we will have less uh, CO2 emissions. That's ingenious. Yes. If you learn uh, enough Talmud when you're a youngster, you get to this uh, kind of uh, philosophical uh, way of thinking. We convinced the government and we showed them a working plan that this can work. And, it, and we are proving day by day that it's working. We installed... approximately 2,000 acoustic sensors on the fire hydrants, okay? This is the layer above the street. A fire hydrant is always connected. It's like a way out from the water network that is underground. By installing those acoustic sensors with a very new uh, low battery energy that wakes up at night when everything in the area is quiet, And it samples the acoustic signature of the area around this fire hydrant. There are about every 350 to 500 in average fire hydrants. So they have some sort of a correlation through the GPS in order to have this pinpointing where the hidden leakage is. So you're GPSing the water system of underneath course. the ground. Yeah. So this is what I'm saying. Before we were deaf and blind. Now... We can see something and hear something with this acoustic sensor. In each DMA, a district metered area that we installed those uh, systems, we've been able to reduce our water losses very significantly. The technology is working. Less uh, CO2 emissions, so it has an environmental impact also. And the technological company, through showcasing this project in Jerusalem, It started to make some uh, projects abroad, and uh, everyone is happy. There was one question that kept on bugging me. If the technology is that good, why are we talking about an NRW of 8.9%? Why aren't we seeing 0% water loss, 100% delivery? Like in other technologies in different sectors, there is no 100% uh, success. It's machine learning. The machine needs to learn. The more silos of data that it gathers and the more you learn how to analyze it and do debugging of all kinds of things that you learn uh, 
in the course of the project, the system gets better. And you can see it, the same system that we install in Jerusalem, they've done it in other places which they didn't have a good engineers that will really work with the system, it gets not such good results. There's a big issue here of good engineers really working day by day with the system. This is the meaning of uh, machine learning. The machine has to learn and you have to feed it with true data in order for it to analyze. And then the, uh, comparing all the time to historical data gets you a much thorough understanding of what's going on in your system. Think about a pipe that bursts in your home, inside the wall. Think about the hassle, the inconvenience, oh, and the cost. Now, multiply it by a nine-digit number. The American Waterworks Association estimates that the investment needed to tackle water loss and NRW issues in the U.S. alone will amount to one trillion U.S. dollars by 2035 and 1.7 trillion U.S. dollars by 2050. Back to Odette Distel. It's big money. Yes, it is, a, it is big money. And uh, the fact that uh, mankind is moving to big cities and uh, we're going to see uh, big metropolitans all over the world creates even a bigger challenge. And the fact that... Uh, We raise our standard of living, and obviously this is a positive uh, thing. All those issues create a very complicated uh, picture that buries a lot of money, but also a very big headache. It's big money and basic wear and tear. It's not a thing that lasts, the infrastructure. Yeah. So it's yeah. big money every several years. Absolutely. One of the important elements is that you find cities that uh, exist for uh, hundreds of years that uh, the infrastructure is, is old and, as you mentioned rightly, it was not well kept because it is underground, because the mayor in every given city around the world would prefer to have a nice uh, garden or a nice uh, music concert for his uh, citizens. compared to maintain the pipe underground. So for a uh, hundred of years, the systems were not well maintained in the US and in Europe. And uh, the system now is in a very poor situation. And therefore the estimation of how much money it's going to cost to uh, fix the systems in the US is an, an unimaginable amount of money. So the challenge is huge. How are we going to find all this money in order to fix the systems? So U.S., Europe are all systems that need to be fixed. And in many other places, in Asia mostly, in Latin America, Africa, where you have population that is growing and municipalities, cities are getting bigger and bigger, we need to build new infrastructure all the time. Zohar Inon recognizes the huge costs. However, he says... Technology is now being used in smart ways to solve problems once considered overly challenging. He tells a deeply compelling story about old, very, very old, 
water and sewage systems. Infrastructure may be high capital costs, but if you implement new technologies and you understand much better on where and when you should invest in replacing or upgrading the infrastructure, you get a very interesting outcomes. The life cycle of the infrastructure can be longer. You can replace it with less expensive projects like shouldering water pipes or shouldering sewage pipes without digging. And those projects are less expensive than a traditional project, which includes a much heavier part of civil works. We have entered a very surprising project last year. For years and years, no one touched the ancient quarter in Jerusalem, the old city. Not even the, the Ottomans? Maybe after the Ottomans, uh, someone have done something. And we have started to shoulder the sewage network. And you have to understand, to obtain a digging permit in the old quarter, it's a mess with the archaeological authority and with the police and with the waqf and with everyone you can think of. Not even God will give you one. Yeah, huh? not even, even God, you know, has to think a little bit before he gives you the permits. And we've started to shoulder all the sewage network in the ancient quarter. almost uh, 20 kilometers of shouldering sewage pipes. What does it mean? It means that uh, we're blowing uh, like a plastic inside the existing pipes without harming any archaeological remnants or things like that, without opening the streets, all those tiny narrow alleys, and we're actually getting new pipes. It's less expensive. Everything is going on above the street as usual, and... We see very few complaints of uh, sewage blockages and things like that. And it's uh, actually amazing. You think that all the believers and God are getting uh, their rituals all day long without any disturbance. And we're actually replacing the sewage infrastructure. I mean, it's like a miracle. And as someone said, I think ben, uh, our late Prime Minister Ben-Gurion said that If you don't believe in miracles in Israel, you're not a realistic person. So this is Agichon uh, in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a complex city. The challenges are many. However, there is a red line no one will ever cross. There are parts of the city that we're talking about mandatory infrastructure. We're talking about areas with no infrastructure. Well, that's not really the case in Jerusalem. All Jerusalem in its eastern part and, of course, in its western part has infrastructure. What I say from time to time, without insulting anyone, the elephant in the biblical zoo in his bath in Jerusalem gets more fresh water than the American ambassador in the diplomatic neighborhood in New Delhi. The embassies over there needs a water tanker to fill up uh, once or twice a week their rooftop tanker with fresh water. The elephant in the biblical zoo in Jerusalem can bath in his bathtub all day long with fresh water. The standards of uh, the eastern infrastructure in Jerusalem is being uh, upgraded and it's improving day by day. 
with the assistance of uh, the government, we're uh, now developing also the infrastructure that is behind the security fence in places like uh, Ras Hamis, Ras Shkade, and the uh, Akab village, which are all behind the security fence. But they are still part of the municipality all of, of them, Jerusalem. Yeah, they're still part of the municipality of Jerusalem. All of them are getting fresh and good water, like the citizens in western side of the city. The big issue and the big difference is that most of the people behind the fence are not paying for the water. So it's more a thing of uh, governmental control on those parts of Jerusalem, which doesn't have any connection really to water. It's in all fields. I mean, it's to all civil services have uh, difficulty in supplying their services because of the security situation. We are unique in that, uh, that we are almost the only public service that actually works behind the fence. We work there directly in Eastern Jerusalem. We're improving the sewage infrastructure and the water infrastructure all the time. We are educating our staff that water is a humanitarian need. It doesn't matter if you're born to a Jewish mother or to a Muslim mother or to 30 different Christian churches that we have in Jerusalem. All of us needs water for the same needs and uh, we're supplying everyone and giving equal service. Do you get under fire because of that, of that approach? Um, no, I think that uh, people understand that uh, people can't survive without water. They can survive without electricity. They can't survive without water. People uh, understand that it's really a very, the most basic humanitarian need. And it's not a question that we need to supply uh, water to everyone. I, I think uh, we're considered as a very professional utility and uh, we're working hard to, to keep it that way. So what does the future hold for this 3,000-year-old city? We're looking all the time to pilot trenchless technologies. I'm telling my colleagues at work that we're moving from being a plumber that is digging, start to be a cardiologist, and look all the time on the EKG of the uh, networks. So we're doing that in the water network, We've started to do that also on issues of monitoring the quality of the water. How can you do that without sampling the water? We have a different uh, type of sensor that is sampling the residual chlorine of the water and the level of the pH and the level of the turbidity of the water between all kinds of points in the system. We've got a grant this time from the EU, the FP7 uh, program, And we're, again, considered a world leader in developing a near real-time monitoring system for quality uh, of uh, water in urban areas. Now we're getting into the next phase of this uh, program by developing with a small high-tech uh, Israeli company, which is called Decision Makers, headed by Dr. Eyal Brill. He's developing for us a spatial uh, model that... We won't need to install thousands of uh, sensors, much uh, fewer sensors, and again, to know exactly what's going on with the quality of the water. And it actually means getting the lab into the system 
the traditional way that you send samplers and they get the samples into the lab and you have to wait eight hours, 12 hours, we will have near real-time monitoring. I mean, we will know in about every 15 minutes what's going on. All of those technologies are trenchless, without digging. We're talking about water, we're talking about pipes, we're talking about something that has nothing to do with high-tech, and I keep on asking you questions, and I keep on getting technological answers. There's a beautiful song one of my sons recorded for his bar mitzvah. It's called Welcome to the New Age. So I'm telling you, welcome to the new age. This is what's going on in Aguijon, and we're trying to uh, share our experience with our peers all over the world especially here in Israel. And we see from time to time that more and more utilities are jumping into this swimming pool and uh, starting to make the first steps in this very long voyage. You need to be committed. You need to be serious and professional. There are no uh, home runs, you know, uh, no slam dunks. It's a long way. But if you're committed, you will get very good results. It's more similar to a marathon run than a home run in baseball. Waterline is brought to you by Israel Newtech and is a PI Media production.